The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor, happy Super Bowl Sunday. How are you doing today? Back behind the mic after a couple week hiatus. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Lots has happened in the last couple of weeks. I had to make a little jaunt out to Eastern Canada for pretty much 10 days. Kind of gets in the way of our ability to record when I'm sitting in a hotel room in Montreal and yeah. and uh, having to work. Working weekends. <laughs> working yeah. weekends. Kind of throws a little wrench into things, but have, glad uh, to be back you, behind the mic. Have you and your liver made up yet? Or like, are you both on speaking terms or? Um, somewhat. I, uh, by no means did I go crazy, but, you know, after, after some long days of work, it was nice to have a refreshing beer or four after, after, you know, long days. It, it was, we, we were smart though. We didn't stay out for the most part until, you know, one, two in the morning because, well, we did have to work the next day, but you know, there was definitely some midnights and, you know, 6 a.m. rolls around early, but all in good fun. It was definitely not the craziest uh, I've ever been in my life. But it was nice to get home and uh, not have a beer with dinner. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, work life gets in the uh, in the in in the way sometimes of recording, and lots of stuff have happened. And you know, we looked pretty smart since our last recording on uh, something that's gone down that we're going to talk about here. Um, yeah, we are we are in the throes of it. It's uh, getting exciting trade. We are a month away from trade deadline, or just it under feels a month like it's away. closer. It, like, yeah, I, I looked this morning and I'm like, it's still a month away. Yet I feel like shit's happening left, right, and center. We're going to talk about that today. And yeah, but well, I, I was shocked when I saw it was still a month. Yeah, and I well, I mean, the All Star Game just happened, and I mean, uh, that could be a whole "Are you kidding me?" episode right there. But uh, I think it was Nathan McKinnon who wanted the deadline pushed a month earlier. And I agree. Why not push it so that these guys you're making these deals to improve your team for the, for the playoff run. If you're one of the teams like the Canucks that are, you know, going to be in the playoffs for the playoffs, you want the team to gel, make it or so that it's earlier and that you have the chance to, instead of being the final 20 to 18 games, because some team are going to go into the trade deadline with 45 games left to play, some with 15. It, like, it just, the number <laughs> of games aren't even. So make it earlier in the season so these guys have a chance to gel and you're not going, hey, uh, I'm open. Who the hell are you again? Like, you know, these guys need to at least know their names so that they can make a pass. But uh, yeah, lots going on. We're going to talk a little uh, trades that have happened, the things that we still might think will happen. This episode, it's uh, like I said, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to give our thoughts on that. Um, possible Jays recap, which should probably take up very little time, but uh, for their <laughs> off season. Wow. Okay, so I want to jump back. I want to jump back to a point where you just said move the trade deadline. You know, earlier in the year, I disagree. And the reason I disagree on that is you don't have as many defined buyers and sellers at that point in the year. 
you know, 45 games in, there's still a lot of teams that are, you know, four points out of the playoffs that believe they're still in the playoff race. You're not going to have as many sellers. I think, you know, if you move it too early, there's going to be no action. Like this is kind of an anomaly of a year and I'll go, you know, everybody knows the Calgary Flames are wide open for business. This is an anomaly of a year because the Flames have so many UFAs that they just have to park with and they don't want to get stuck with what happened a couple of years ago. This isn't normal having, you know, this many players that you know are available. If you push the deadline earlier, you don't have the defined buyers and sellers. And I don't think you get as much trades. I really don't. Well, maybe not a month, but maybe two weeks. Like, I just think. Yeah, I could, it, I could see a week or two. Like, I just think, give it some more time. The other thing with making it earlier is, like, to your point, you don't know, but, but it can make it really interesting. Because the teams that are potentially on the outside looking, we can do it, might be trying to make, like, there are definitive teams that are going to be sellers. But they're garbage anyways. And what are you really going to, what diamond in the rough are you going to pull out of Chicago, uh, San Jose, uh, Edmonton? It just like, what are you going to get from them? Um, <laughs> wow. Getting on the Edmonton part. You're well, full of it. Florida. <laughs> It was a late How'd night. The Canucks when do yesterday. <laughs> when, when, when you're How was your trip through to teething. Boston? <laughs> yeah. Um, it. Uh, hey, the Canucks. Here's a stat. Just to that point. <laughs> the Canucks are the only team this season to not have a three-game losing streak. Well, that'll happen today. Now nah, we good. We got we got Washington. Or Matthew so, Phillips and the Washington yeah, Capitals. As, <laughs> as long as we can keep him in the press box, we're fine, right? Like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, we're all over it this morning. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just think like you're, you're not. And this is the problem anyways. The teams that are, when you look at the standings, there's a lot of teams that are still within reach in both conferences. And I think that's where you could still have it. The, the lack of trades. How many trade deadlines has it been recently where it is just so dull because everyone thinks they're still in it. Right, I think that's well, going to be. A it's bit been like of the a, last five. It's it's, uh, it's been horrid. Like we used to like look forward to trade deadline day, and now it's like uh, it's painful. Who cares? Like we've already seen some big moves happen now. But looking at the East, like Pittsburgh's at fifty three. They're seven points out. Are they truly out? Right. You've got New Jersey and the Islanders and Detroit ahead of them. New Jersey's. Six points out. The Islanders are four points out. I mean, Toronto and Detroit aren't safe there either in the wild card spots. When you go to the West, you're looking at uh, LA and St. Louis in the wild card spot with 58 and 56 points. Well, Nashville's got 56. Calgary's got 55. Seattle's got 52. And I mean, realistically, with the point difference, Minnesota at 51 and Arizona at 50 aren't necessarily mathematically out of it so what are those teams going to think like hey a good push and a, a team falling off where you can get back into it right like it could become a little stagnant at the deadline because of that reason too many teams but are I gotta, too close i'm gonna take it right back to you wanting to have the trade deadline a couple weeks earlier you just exhibit a why you don't there's still teams that think they're alive that are now, two weeks from now, we're going to be dead in the water, most likely, and they're going to become sellers. So I think you just made the point right there as to why you you definitely don't move well, the deadline then, up. Then do it two weeks earlier, I think. I think it just 
it, it's a it would help make things a little more exciting right yeah because deadline day used to be something that you looked forward to it's like third christmas for like you get christmas you get July free agent 1. frenzy right <laughs> july 1 and you get trade deadline day right those were the three three christmases you got throughout the year as a hockey fan um but yeah like it it, it um it, i don't know i think i agree with moving it up maybe not a month maybe that's too much because that would be now and like you say yes there are too many teams but in two weeks who knows what's going to happen la could push edmonton back into a wild card spot because really that's only a three-point gap right like the the kings if they can turn it around with the new coach bump maybe they can start winning again um you know because edmonton was ahead of vegas in this in this division for a little bit in the pacific and now they're seven points back again right so it who knows what's going to happen it'll be interesting um because realistically like look like even your calgary flames are six points back of third and you've apparently yeah, decided, four games four well, games last or more games played though like there's zero zero chance they're making a push for that well I, you guys are are known sellers and you're on a run to make the playoffs right now so we'll see what it's happens crazy. i love it i love yeah, it yeah you can never see a team sell everyone off and make the playoffs so. i love it <laughs> team tank is having a just absolute meltdown right now i think well we're going to talk about that you know, let's talk about it right now. We're talking about Team Tank for the Calgary Flames. This team was never going to be bad enough to tank. So in what world did you ever think you were going to get a top five pick with this with this team? Mark Sherman between the pipes, Huberto, Kadri, Backlund, Coleman, Tanev, Weger. Like this team's just too good to have ever been in the conversation for Team Tank. And you're seeing it now that there's even when they're selling off their UFAs, Lindo gone, Zadorov gone, Tanev's next, Hanifin's probably next. Like Markstrom this could team, be. Markstrom potentially. Now you could become team tank if Markstrom gets dealt, but I just I don't see that happening. To been in the conversation for team tank, like you're talking about the ducks at 38 points, the sharks at 33 points, the Blackhawks. At 31 points, the Columbus Blue Jackets, Ottawa Senators, 42-44. The Flames aren't even close to that. The Flames are 11 points ahead of the Ottawa Senators who are in just who are like seventh overall pick. This was never going to happen. This team was never going to be that bad. This I could see it next year potentially being involved in Team Tank. Because you're probably getting rid of every UFA. You're probably not really replacing them. Like, sure, you got rid of Lindholm for Kuzmenko. And we're going to talk about that. Kuzmenko's a nice piece, but he's not Elias Lindholm. You know, Chris Tanev's going out the door. Elias Lindholm, or uh, not Elias Lindholm. No, Hannum's probably going out the door, not replacing them with the same caliber. Next year might be Team Tank, but that all depends on Jacob Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and what are you going to get back for that, right? Like, it's it's going to be picks. He's got a, a – I mean, Markstrom's a good goaltender. He could fit the bill for a lot of – especially Eastern teams that are looking for a goaltender, right? Yeah. And, like, a cup contenders. Like, a Carolina could put a nice package together possibly, but they're Let, not going to – Let's, let's that, save, save this that. part of the conversation because this is part going to come up later. I just yeah. – you mentioned Team Tank, and I got to say, like, I'm not opposed to being on uh, – to Team Tank. I'm not opposed – 
to having a high draft pick. You just were never going to get it with this group this year. It was too good of a team. And I know they like they missed the playoffs by two points last year in an absolute train wreck of a season. You you brought back the entire same team. Like we were talking about the team last year as being a top three in the Pacific potential and it went off the rails. You brought back the same team. You were never, ever gonna be even remotely close to team tank capabilities. And you know, actively cheering for your team to lose is crazy to me because this team was never going to be that bad. It's about the dumbest thing ever. Like, I don't know how you call yourself a fan and then go out and bitch and complain when your team wins or tries to improve its roster because you want some unknown flashy name kid who, and this isn't pointed towards anyone. This is not a shot at Macklin Celebrini or anyone or anyone like that. Because you want the first overall pick, you want the shiny, nice name toy on the, you want the name on the back of a jersey. Great, that's going to sell you jerseys. Connor Bedard still has the Blackhawks dead last in the league. They most likely will have a line that features Connor Bedard and Macklin Celebrini. The the Flames are five to ten years behind the Chicago Blackhawks, the, the San Jose Sharks. The Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the Columbia, like the teams that are there are the there Mighty Ducks are going to be there. They, yeah, Ducks, whatever. They're not mighty at all. So but I just removed the shitbirds, we can call yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> the the Anaheim Seagulls. Um, actually, the, the Gulls are their AHL team, but they're those teams are bad and they're gonna be bad. And if that's what you want, if you want to live in the basement, go ahead. Because you know what? The Edmonton Oilers lived in the basement for a decade plus. They got four first overall picks in six years, and they still, I don't care how many rounds they've won, that they got to the Western Conference Finals, they still haven't won shit. And they have two of the best players in the world. So I get the hasn't earned them a damn thing. I, I think get the argument of, of, I get the argument of that's an, an easier way to acquire elite talent. But you can acquire elite talent outside the top five. You yeah. can acquire elite talent with picks 10 through 25. Hell, you can acquire elite talent in the sixth round. Like, look at Johnny Goudreau. Like, he was our last elite player with the Calgary Flames. He wasn't a top five pick. There's other ways to acquire elite talent. Is it easier with a top five pick? Yes. But it's not the only way. And... This team was never, ever going to be even remotely close to that. Like, it takes a special level of being bad to be Anaheim Duck bad, San Jose Shark bad, Chicago Blackhawk bad, Ottawa Senator, Columbus Blue Jacket. Like, that is a whole other level of talent of being bad, and they're just not there. They're not there. there. The Senators are a perfect example of a team that has picked high a lot of times. And they, we've talked about how they shouldn't be this bad. They shouldn't be sitting last in the Atlantic and second to last in the East, but they are. Because you don't know what that talent's going to do, right? Like they've got some, some what should be stud players on that team who don't play like stud players together. Like they're just, they're not putting it together. Now, whether that's coach, coaches, management, whatever, Something is not right in the water, not. But that 
that is a perfect example of do you want to be that? Do you want to be the team that sucks forever despite having this high-level talent on your team? I, I just, yeah, Team Tank is the I've always thing. thought I've always thought it's a slippery slope. And there's a lot to be said for growing a culture of playing the game the right way, playing to win. These are professional athletes with pride. They're, they want to win every hockey game. And it, you can't take that out of them. There's just this competitiveness. No. And, and I think there's a slippery slope of going out there and intentionally fielding poor hockey clubs that then get this culture of losing. And it's hard to turn that around. It really, yep. really is. And like, after a while, you lose your fans, right? And that's not like, just NHL. That's every league. Like, yeah, the Houston Astros bottomed out for a long time, and it took a long time for that team to turn it around. Now, to be fair, Cheap. maybe bad example. They've had pretty <laughs> good success for a while, but it takes a whole level amount of bad, and it's hard to turn that around. It really is. Look at yeah. our Toronto Blue Jays. They've been mediocre for how long now? And they have a good team and can't take the next step because they don't have a team that knows how to win. And they have yet to win a playoff game with all that talent because yeah. it's hard to go from mediocre to really good. It just is. Well, you can either call it call it a perpetual rebuild or perpetual garbage because that's what this that's what you're gonna get. Buffalo Sabres, the Ottawa. Uh, Senators, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Sharks, the Ducks, the like that's what they Coyotes. The Coyotes, yeah. I mean, the Coyotes, yeah, like they're 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 seventh in their division at 50 points, right? Like that is another team, like it's just perpetual rebuild. It like it's not even mediocre, it's just piss poor effort and talent and results. And if that's what you want, then cheer away. But you're, I think, in a, you're on an island with a, a handful of people, because I can tell you right now, if my Canucks intentionally tanked and we're putting out a shitty hockey team, I wouldn't be paying. I, I have to pay to watch my team. Why would I give that money? Now I probably keep Sportsnet Plus because of the wrestling pay per views, but, um, <laughs> it, like, why would I pay to watch a garbage product? Why? Why are people, no one's going to do that. And the teams aren't going to risk losing out on that revenue by being shitty year in, year out. Right. Like, well, and, and there's, there's an appetite in Calgary to rebuild. I'm interested to see what that appetite is two years from now. Say they are bottom of the barrel shitty. Like there was that young guns era that that's all they did was trade all their good players, roll out young players. And the team almost left. Like we yep. almost lost the Calgary Flames during the Young Guns era, so I think you got to be very careful about what you consider team tank rebuilding and how much you are actually willing to put up with it. Because let's say three years from now, and say the Flames somehow end up with Macklin Celebrini or Gavin McKenna in a couple of years, and they're still garbage. All of a sudden, it's like you have these elite level players, but you're still garbage. Are fans going to put up with it then? I question whether they would. Well, like, and Hold on. Let's also add in the fact you're getting a brand new arena, which comes with a brand new sticker price on ticket sales. Yeah, season tickets. Right? <laughs> exactly. like, are, who is going to pay an inflated price to watch a shitty hockey team? 
right? They're they're not going to do it. Yeah, at all. It's just right? it's a slippery slope to me. And I think winning hockey game, winning cures everything. Your building is full when you win. So I think you have to try to create the culture of winning. And do they do the Calgary Flames need elite level talent? Yes, they do. I'll be the first to admit it. But again, that's it could come at a cost. It could come at 10 years of yeah. being shit. Like the Oilers Ooh. were shit for 10 years. They were the yeah. laughing stock of the NHL for 10 years. Our, you know, our, our Calgary Flames fans, our Ottawa Senator fans, our Chicago Blackhawk fans really prepared to deal with that because th- th- that is a potential outcome of this. Only one team could win the Stanley Cup every year and 31 teams aren't going to win it and 10 teams are going to suck year after year after year. Are you prepared to potentially be one of those teams that sucks for years and years and years? It's easy to say now you are. I question whether you, whether any of these fan bases are really that ready to, to watch shit hockey for 10 years. Well, here's, I got two things to like for the team tank here, right? Like as an example and get ready for Team Tank for, for the Flames Nation, if you want this, get ready in five, six years for Sportsnet to start producing Igniting the Flame. <laughs> As they try and get fans excited for their garbage hockey like they had that oil change or whatever the hell, year in, year out, where they tried to shove down how good the Oilers were when they were still a garbage team. Like, get ready for that. Igniting the Flame. Uh, I've said it now, so Sportsnet steals it. Calling a lawyer. Um <laughs> but I like you talk about the fans coming to a winner, right? For the years where the Canucks were a good team, GM Place, Rogers Arena, whatever you want to call it, back then it was GM Place, was full. The Canucks actually held the record, I believe, for most sellout games, consecutive sellout games. And it wasn't 75, it was like in the 300s because the team was winning, the team was good. The moment the team started to show signs of being not good, the fans stopped coming. The fans didn't accept losing. The fans didn't accept a subpar roster. Now, the fans can't do a damn thing about it other than not showing up and not spending their money on merchandise, but that's how a team listens. And and no owner is going to sit there and watch their pocketbook get smaller when they own a multi-million, if not billion-dollar franchise. Yeah, well, you're so. already seeing it, and you see it in Calgary. I watched the Flames-Islanders game yesterday on TV. That building in New York was three-quarters full, and that's a team that's just started to slide in the standings. The Flames are only averaging, you know, they're still saying that they're selling, you know, 17, 18,000 tickets, but there's games where there's – you're lucky if there's 14,000 people in the stands – we're already seeing it and we're only into year one and a half maybe of not being a potentially good team. And we're still in the playoff hunt. Like yeah. what happens? Like if you're bottom three, bottom five in the NHL, like to me, it's just careful what you wish for, because it might not turn out how you think you may get three really, really good players and still be perpetual mediocrity finishing you go between seventh and 10th in the West. It, it doesn't guarantee anything. And I saw it with the young guns era. I really did. And it just scares the shit out of me. I'm not saying team tank is wrong. I'm just careful what you wish for. It, yeah. it's, it, it might not turn out how you think, and you still may not 
develop a team that is playoff caliber year after year after year after year. It is that isn't a guaranteed outcome of this. And it, it could go completely the other way. And you become the Edmonton Oilers of 10 years. You become the San Jose Sharks. You become the Ottawa Senators. That scares me even more. Well, I think maybe to, to finish up this one, I think for Team Tank, uh, you better be prepared for what comes and the length that it comes. And uh, you better be prepared to stand behind it because the receipts are there. There's been enough put out there on social media calling for this for the last how long by certain people. And if you get what you want and you don't like it in six years because it's still going on, you better stay quiet because you got what you wanted. This is the repercussion. Yeah. And, and, and this isn't unique to Calgary Flames Nation. It's just current with Calgary Flames Nation. Yeah. There's lots of teams that are like that call for it. And you just, again, it's careful what you're really asking for. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a slippery slope. Either well, now that we've got the intro to our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a spur of the moment conversation. Yeah. So, uh, Trevor, why don't you kick us off with the first, uh, are you kidding me? I know like you wanted to talk a little waste management in the tournament in the PGA. <laughs> I love this tournament. Oh, this is good. This is bucket list, Ken. Like you, me, some of our buddies, like we need to go to this tournament. It's an absolute gong show. I love it. The 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 theatrics around it, the the booing, the golfers losing their mind, but I am going to preface this. This year, it seems to have gone a little too far. They are out of control yeah. at the Waste Management Open in Phoenix this week. They're having to cut off alcohol sales because the fans are so out of control. You've got drunk fans running and jumping into the bunkers. You've got... like. People sitting at benches, pissing their pants. I, are you kidding me? What happened to a little bit of, of, you know, adult common decency? You are still at a professional sporting event. These are players who are still trying to earn a paycheck for their livelihood. These, This is still the PGA Tour. There has to be some level of respect towards the golfers. Is it making for some great entertainment and some great sound bites? Yeah, absolutely. Like there, there are golfers out there telling the fans to shut the fuck up in the middle of their swings and just cussing and swearing at fans. It's amazing, but okay, let's let's dial it back a little bit. This is still a professional golf tour event that has a lot of money on the line for these players, even for the guys at the bottom. There's still a significant paycheck at play for the guys who make the cut or, or who miss the cut, make the cut. Let's have a little bit of professional decency and common decency for those guys because it's out of control. I worry about the tournament next year. How many of the guys, the players who came this year may go, you know, I might skip that event next year because it's gotten out of hand this year. I love it. It's different. It's it's hilarious, but this is still a professional golf tournament, so let's treat it that way. Yeah, and I think like you're right. Like the the, the golfers are there 
They don't all win, but where they finish and where they rank is important to them keeping their card. And I think part of it too that goes with it is that it's always been allowed. And I think people tolerate it. People think it's good because it is a tournament where the fans get to cut loose a little bit and the player, you know, they get to be a little more up close and personal and interact with the, the, the golfers a little bit more in a, in a different way. But at the same time, when is enough is enough. And does the PGA just pull it and say, okay, this is bullshit. We can't keep doing this. We're, we're just, we're out like, see you later. No more. We're gone. I think that that could be, and then because people can't control themselves enough, you lose a good thing. I think that that could be something that potentially rears its head in the in the near future if this continues. Well, that that's what I'm worried about. This is a good thing. This is a lot of fun. A lot of players actually look forward to this tournament date on the calendar because they know it's going to be a bit of a raucous crowd and a bit of a different atmosphere. But don't ruin that don't get that taken away like don't you know what's the saying you you, you know you, sometimes you can't have shiny things like don't don't <laughs> screw this up because this is a shiny thing this yeah. is an exception to the norm and there's there's it's out of control this year and you don't want to get that taken away i know people who have personally gone down to this tournament and they've said it's amazing like, it is just amazing there's a ton of fun when you see a great shot on the 16th hole that, you know, lands within six inches of the cup and the, the roar is crazy. It's also a good thing when the guy shanks it into the stands and gets booed as he walks up. The very, That is amazing. That's tolerable. That's allowed. Don't get that taken away. And yeah. all over some people who can't handle their alcohol and decide that they need to go and have a swim in the, in the bunker or, you know, jump into this, the water or, or like, don't ruin this because I look forward to this event. Here's another thing. Why the hell is the finale of this tournament on the same Sunday as Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah. Like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, you're Maybe. drawing eyes away from... Well, it could be strategic, greatest. right? Oh, I don't know about that. It's like, get this tournament off of Super Bowl Sunday because my, I'm torn. I can't really watch both. <laughs> Yet this is almost must-see theater. Well, Phoenix is is somewhat driving distance to Vegas, is it not? So maybe they're hoping the real rowdies are <laughs> in a vehicle, sober, trying to get to Super Bowl Sunday right now. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting tournament. Lots of fun to watch. It always, you know, uh, the Shooter McGavin X account, Twitter account is always fun to watch. And he's pulling out to go back to your shanties line from uh, Happy Gilmore and stuff. It, it's always a good time, but. Yeah, there's always going to be the the group that tries to go too far and ends up ruining it. So, uh, Trevor, I wanted to throw one in before we got to the one we had talked about earlier. I just want to kind of throw in the NHL All-Star game as an are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I do want to give the NHL and the All-Star weekend a little bit of credit. They went back to more old school, traditional skills competition. That was actually more enjoyable to watch. Because it was um, skills that they would do in a game. They're not shooting at uh, cards on a board. They're in Vegas. They're not shooting at surfboards on the beach in Florida. It's an actual skills competition. Now, just happens to be that the guy who helped 
to design it and call for the change ended up winning a million dollars and Connor McDavid, but he's also, you know, probably the best player in the world right now. So not a lot of surprise there, but it was, it was at least entertaining and, and fun to watch. Now my, are you kidding me? Comes to the game again, more changes are made, which I liked. They had the player draft so that you had players all over playing with different players. But again, they then still kept the three on three format four teams which I think you miss out on seeing the best play the best or the best play with the best because Team McKinnon didn't play Team Hughes, right? And then you had teams that didn't play each other that then, like, you know, I think it was, or the Team Hughes didn't play Team McDavid either. Like, you just, you miss out on that, the top players actually playing against each other. And I it was like watching a regular overtime period in the first game because they're ragging the puck out to center to try and get the proper break in. It was like for the first five minutes, there was maybe one shot and no goals. It's like, guys, this is an all-star game. Go in and play. Or if you want to do the three on three, or you want to play high octane, no defense hockey, which is what an all-star game should be. Get rid of the blue lines, get rid of offside, no icing, just let them play pond hockey and go. Um, I, I think they didn't change it enough to make it still enjoyable. Uh, Pieces were better, but it still wasn't great. You talked about the player drafts and how you liked it. Well, I'll tell you one, you know, people who didn't like it, American viewers, because there was less than 100,000 viewers in all of the United States of America that watched that player draft. So that's an epic fail. Uh, they need to scrap that. And you ended up having all teammates on the same team yeah. for the most part, because heaven forbid, Austin Matthews not draft Mitch Marner. It was stupid, absolutely stupid. It, uh, uh, dumb. The whole weekend's dumb. I'm tired of it. I, I'm looking forward to maybe next year with the Four Nations Cup, not having to watch it for a couple of years and maybe get to watch something exciting instead. I watched a grand total of zero minutes of all-star coverage. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I was in Montreal and I had many. Working. Uh, <laughs> many. I had a few beverages in front of me at, at some times, but it sucks. The all-star game sucks. I did like the idea of the skills competition, put a little bit of money on the line. I can appreciate that. They should probably do that every year. Didn't but increase everyone's effort game, though. No, but who cares? Like, I don't want to go well, over the key to Kucherov. Ranch no, well, but no, no, I'm not, it's not even necessarily about him, but like you look at the league says you go or you're suspended, right? You partake in the whole weekend or you're suspended. Well, for the draft, Sidney Crosby, is on an outdoor rink in Montana while every other player is at the draft doing their part. And then they put Nikita Kucherov in the skills competition when he clearly didn't want to be. So you either need to make it everyone shows up and participates and does their thing, including Mr. Crosby, or you let players decline. And you you don't force a player who doesn't want to be in the skills competition to be in the skills competition because Nikita Kucherov couldn't have given less than two shits and it showed and it made it look bad. But I, that's my part. Like, I doesn't matter. Like, if you didn't want to do it, you didn't want to do it. We don't need to talk that much about it. But don't have different set of rules for different players. They either all show up and compete or you say, hey, do you want to be part of it? No. Okay. We're not going to put you in there because we don't want you wasting our time. They could have gone. Yeah, somewhere. find somebody who does want to compete. Yeah. I can get on board with that. But I don't know. Just the whole weekend is it's 
and this isn't unique to hockey, like all-star games just suck. Like the only one that kind of is interesting is basketball. And that's just the skills competition. The game itself sucks, but basketball, you know, the three point shootout, the slam dunk contest, those are at least fun to watch. Now, some baseball. Of them are, they're, they're baseball, the home run derby. Yeah. The home run derby is pretty fun, but the, the game itself is, yeah, I guess baseball is at least a replication of they're still playing the game. What it, it truly is. They're playing the game at a 90% level as opposed yeah. to a 50% level. Like, you know, the NFL with the Pro Bowl just kind of canceling it is almost on the right track of who cares? Let's well, not they play flag you're, you're football a Pro Bowl or yeah, but they play film, yeah. they play flag football. But I the all-star game is just to me, it's it's something that just needs to go by the wayside. Like who really cares about actually playing the game? They can be named all-stars. You know, maybe you can still get them together to have a fun league event of some kind, but the actual game itself, who cares? Like, yeah, you want to get the players there. Sure, you can still have the players go to Las Vegas, but then you do like a, a, a unique event, like ramp up the skills competition then, and then only do that. Like the people are there to see their skills. So, okay, we'll ramp that up make it crazy for the people there and then don't do a game because the game sucks. The games are garbage and I'm tired of them. Yeah. I, I don't even consider it a game. It's three overtime periods and it's not, you're not watching them in their natural five on five play. That is what they're all. They're not to their natural habitat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, see, you see to go to the best David Attenborough voice for that one. <laughs> Oh, you can't. Right. Once you finish off, are you kidding me? For us, yeah. So something that that happened on Hockey Night in Canada, Leafs Senators. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go. We'll see. Yeah, it's uh. So the the Maple Leafs get again collapsed to a bottom of the standings team in the league, where they uh, failed to put up a W against the Ottawa Senators. The Leafs have a losing record against the bottom of the league. And get a little pissy to uh, steal Leon Dreisaitl's uh, attitude sometimes when they lose. So Ridley Greg was going in on a, on a breakaway with the net empty and from about five feet out, ripped a slapper into the cage. And Morgan maybe Riley's... he was just practicing for the skills competition. Yeah, next. we don't know. I mean, the like, Sens... let's maybe give him the benefit of the doubt well, here. We don't know. The Sens could have an off day today, and today's their skills competition. And he was just giving the fans at home a little preview of what he could do, right? Um, Morgan Riley took exception to it and gave him a two-hander to the side of the head, right? Like jaw, helmet, ear, everything. Just two-handed him in the head with about, what was it, eight seconds left to go in the game? 13 yeah, seconds. Like, that. like Garbage time. It was 5-3 now. And, and I, I got to say, like, if you are that butthurt over an empty net goal being slapped in, like, you should implore, we should implore every NHL or on a breakaway in an empty net to take a slapper because, you know what, they might miss. They might heal it. They might break their stick and miss. And uh, it makes it more interesting. But you lost the game. And I think, like, Everyone, the, the reaction for me online is you get all the Leafs fans saying, good, he deserved it. He deserved it. Really? He deserves to get cross-checked in the side of the head because he slapped it in the net. Um, 
like this whole unwritten code BS that goes on. Yeah, sure. There's certain things you may or may not do, but I'm pretty sure none of it warrants getting two handed by a piece of lumber in the side of the head. Like the reaction was completely over the top. Someone called it unhinged. Um, and and I, I don't agree with the cross check to the head. You know, if he goes by and gives him a shove, whatever, right? It's a no, we're not even talking about it. We might be talking about, man, did you see really Greg just slapped it in the net? And that's the end of the conversation. But you two handed a guy in the head. You want to get headshots out of the game. Um, right. Like there, you had Brendan Gallagher chicken winning a guy coming halfway across the ice and getting, what was it, five games for it? And, you know, Nikita Sidorov went for a, a big hip, kind of a hip check ish type thing. Timing was off, caught Lucas Raymond in the head. He got two games for it. Right. Like you, these are the types of things. Gallagher, not a hockey play. Morgan Riley, not a hockey play. Zadorov, hockey play that missed. Not still not a good hit. Like he, he, Raymond was, you know, well enough to come back in the game, which is a good thing. You don't want to see guys get hurt, but it, you could at least make the cases like that was a miss in a hockey play. Some of these other ones, the Brendan Dillon one, hockey play, but Ooh, the, I don't know about that one. That, was, that like, was dirty. Yeah, well, I mean, like, but he only got what three games for it, two yeah, games I'm for shocked. it, right? Like, more. but again, like that was like an attempted hit, whether it was like late, whatever. Like, you know, like, like it, it's tough. I mean, like, and I'm by, I'm not, I'm not saying that Zadorov shouldn't have got anything. It was a what ended up being an attempted hit was to the head. So he got two games. You're not going to hear me say boo about it because it was a head hit. That's what they want to get out of the game, but like. These cheap shots, which is exactly what Morgan Riley took, should be taken out of the game. But to this whole, like, oh, it's the code. He deserved it. He should have known that was coming. Piss off with that. Like, the, the code doesn't say you get two-handed to the head. Face up with him. Be be a man. Drop the gloves and fight him. If, that's, if you're really that upset about him scoring on an empty net, right? Like, why is no one getting two-handed to the side of the head when they rip a 100-mile-per-hour slap shot with a defenseman five feet in front of him, it ends up hitting him in the ankle and breaking it. Like, that's okay, but into an empty net with no goaltender, oh, how dare you, right? Like, it's just, and, and some of the, I know you and I were kind of discussing this beforehand, but the panel on Hockey Night in Canada after, right? Like, I I hate to agree with Kelly Rudy. I don't always do. Um, but he said at least six games, and I agree, if not more. And then Bieksa and Botterill were bringing up no, no, he's got a squeaky clean record to max. Well, if you're giving him two games for that, then you better rescind Zadorov's two-game suspension in major and call it a minor, because that's essentially what you're saying, is that a two-hander to the head is worth two games. So what is a missed hit worth, right? Like, And I did take, and you know we're talking about this, I did take a little issue with Botterill saying it was only two games, and even though she said like, you know, she doesn't agree with it, she talked about the example that retaliation sets during the wild and um, oh my, my, my brain is not working right now. It was the jets. Yeah. The jets jets and wild where uh, the wild forward, just high stick perfetti off the face off because Brendan Dillon and others kept attacking uh, Caprice off and injuring them. She talks about the example that sets, but this one is you know, like, 
only were two games and didn't want to say it shouldn't be part of it because of the example it sets. I take issue Now, with that part. I'm going to kind of, I'll talk about the Bonneral thing. I don't, I didn't take it as her condoning the fact that the guy two-handed, you know, got, you know, Riley two-handed Greg. She did say that that was over the top, that there's no place in hockey for that. I think people are stretching it a little bit to say that she condones this, but doesn't condone that. Like, she did say that was uncalled for and there's no place in hockey for that, which is very similar to what she said about the kind of the Capriza, Perfetti, whole, that whole instance. You know, I, I think people are, are jumping to conclusions of what she said and may not have said. She, you know, so I'm going to give her a bit of the benefit of the doubt because she was right in that initial initial conversation about the whole, you know, Perfetti thing that. There's no place in hockey. And we that. gave her credit and, for that too. And we gave her credit for that. She didn't say there's a place in hockey for this. She said the retribution end of it is very normal. Two-handing the guy in the face, not normal. There is no place in hockey for that. I argue this to a perfect example of, of you know, really Greg, fuck around and find out. I don't agree with the two-hander to the face, but he did hot dog at a point when he shouldn't have. I think we can agree he probably shouldn't have done that. Now, the, the reaction to it was way, way over the top. I do agree. No, no place in the game for that, two, that, that two-hander to the face. Morgan Riley should get the book thrown at him. I do agree with the fact that if you're good at hot dog like that, then there should be you're going to face some kind of retribution you are now it should have been a scrum it should have been morgan riley going in there you know potentially grabbing him you know obviously slamming him into the boards but a scrum probably should have ensued out of that because you were showing up the other team a little bit you really were and you know, you talked about the rules of sport. I agree with you, but they are the unwritten rules of sport. I agree with you, but they are there. It's this, this is something like this is going to happen 99 times out of a hundred. If you're going to hot dog on an, on an empty net like that, well, you're, something's going to happen. Now a two under the face, no way. Like that's way, way too much. But Greg kind of got what he deserved a little bit. You you showed up an entire other team. Now, a piece of this that I find hilarious is the Ottawa Senators' ex-Twitter admin <laughs> absolutely taking off of it this morning and trolling the Leafs fans, calling Ridley Greg the, the player of the game. Play, yeah, play of the game, yeah. Play of the game, love that. Like, let's get a little bit, you know, of personality in the game. I love that. And but that's fire. that was one place I was going to go with it. They want personality in the game, right? So perfect example of two things that happened yesterday. Ridley Gregg slap shot into an empty net when it's 4-3. The Leafs aren't winning. Gets a two-hander in the side of the head. Wallstrom for Detroit scores a beautiful penalty goal. shot. Beautiful. I would disagree beautiful, but scores a penalty shot in uh, overtime against the Canucks and breaks out the gritty. Now, one of the Canucks got on the ice, skated across, and two-handed him in the head. It's the second time he's done it. You want some personality in the game, yet, like you talk about these players doing the Michigan, and everyone's like, oh, you pull that Michigan, you're getting a two-hander in the head. Oh, you do that, I'm sla I'm breaking your I'm breaking your wrists. 
with a slap. Like it's so archaic. Do you want this game to be just like do you want it to be played in suits and ties, and just like dumb it down? Like you well, want personality, game maybe. Yeah, <laughs> like you want personality in the game, but don't ever effing show it, right? Uh, like so, you want to talk about hot dogging and stuff, okay? So, who two-handed Kane in the side of the head when he's uh skated past? I can't remember what who they were facing and threw up the seven or whatever it was after he scored the game-winning goal to force like to extend the series. No one two-handed him. He's showing up an entire organization and their fan base. What about when Austin Matthews scores a goal and skates past the glass, facing the the crowd, the away like the home team crowd, doing the arms in the air with that smug ass look on his face? Like who's two handing him in the face? You can't have this. This is okay. This is not when we choose, right? Like don't disagree with that at all. The, the Oilers got pissy with the Canucks in the I think it was either the eight one game or the I think it was the eight one game. 6-2 game, whichever one of the ones we beat the shit out of them, plus the 4-3 game. When the Canucks had a healthy lead and you had McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nurse running around, slashing, elbowing, cross-checking, taking stupid penalties at the end of the game when it was done. So the Canucks then stuck out their first power play unit. Okay, so in a normal game when it's 8-1 or 6-1, 7-1, you're not going to do that. But when you do stupid shit in go out there and take borderline dirty penalties or hard penalties when the game's already done, or you skate past a guy and slash him in the back of the legs, you put your top unit out. That's what you do. You're like, okay, you want to play this game? We've already kicking your ass. We're going to put our best players out there and we'll make you look even worse. That's a way to go about it. Like I, this whole, like Shifley on whoever the Montreal Canadian was. The Canadian scores an empty net goal and he skates from the blue line and absolutely drills him. You know, you go way back and you look at Dale Hunter and Pat LaFontaine, right? No, Pierre Turgeon. Pierre Turgeon, sorry. Sorry, yeah. It was a long time ago. Um, but like, it's just, it's so dumb and archaic. You want this game to grow? The game has enough issues off the ice that let's, let's get away from the Neander, Neanderthal thinking where you can just club a guy and get away with it. So was in this, let's do it this way. Was Todd Bertuzzi in the right for getting payback on Steve Moore? Because unwritten rule said, you knocked our best player out, so we're going to get revenge. No one was claiming unwritten rule and that that was okay, however many years ago that was, right? Like, you can't have it seven different ways for the this unwritten rule. It's this, that, or don't do it at all. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Mark Hunter or it's Dale Hunter, sorry, and yeah, yeah. Um, and Pierre Turgeon incident because I saw some posts online where people were going these these two instances are nothing alike. I, I call bullshit. They're exactly alike. They're end of game. Game is just over, and you took a cheap cheap shot on the guy who just won the game for you. Now the the circumstances are slightly different. One was a team getting eliminated from the playoffs. And their season was over, and this is just pure, poor sportsmanship. And the other one was a February game where the Leafs lose to the Senators. Sure, the circumstances are different, but the outcome was exactly the same. It was guy gets cheap-shotted after finishing the game. Dale Hunter got 21 games for that 
Now, I'm not suggesting Morgan Riley is going to get 21 games for that. But the circumstances around the two instances, very similar. I would not be surprised if Morgan Riley got 10 games because this was dirty. This was uncalled for. It was you're trying to take headshots out of the game. And sure, a guy hot dogged. And I think there should have been a little bit of retribution for a guy hot dogging. But to two-hand a guy across the face, there's going to be a severe suspension, in my opinion, coming out of this. Rudy mentioned last night five or six games. I think that might be light. I personally think it should be higher because you can't do that. You can't two-hand cross-check a guy. David Perron got six games for a very similar cross-check earlier in the season. For a guy out front, he got six. Don't be surprised if this is a healthy, healthy suspension. Yeah, well, I'm trying to find it, and I'm trying to see if it's been updated. But um, I saw a tweet this morning where that Department of Player Safety is debating whether it's a in-person or phone hearing. Phone hearing means it's max five. In-person, it's five plus. If they're actually debating this, like George Peros is probably going to buy him a beer and say good job. Because it's the Department of Player Safety is a fucking joke. It is, right? Um, offered and uh, hold on, sorry. TSN has been offered a hearing for his cross check on really Greg at the conclusion. Uh, so I don't know what that means. Hold on. It could be an in-person. It may or may not. In-person. In-person cross check. There we so go. It's going to be five or more. Um or this a five, like, or a twenty hundred dollar fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. The maximum allowable under the CBA, which is a joke. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Might be the actual Twitter account. They they've got two hundred and thirty five thousand followers and only following thirty four. So quite possible that it is the actual legit um, Twitter account for them. But like, yeah, it is. But it, it just. The fact that there's rumors like that they're talking with it debating whether it should be in person or not is such a joke in my opinion. Like this is hands down in person. Like I would honestly, twelve to fifteen is where I want to see this fall. You talk, like the league talks about getting this dirty shit out of the game, and yet they do nothing. I don't care that he Morgan Riley is squeaky clean has never been suspended again. That should never be taken into account. What should be taken into account? Is the act, the act and the and the rule book? That's it. What does the rule book say? Is this allowed or is it not? Let's now look at the act. How severe is it? Does it land at level A, B, C, or what the fuck were you thinking? And I think this is a WTF situation right now. Now, at least the the good thing is it doesn't appear that Ridley Gregg is is hurt. Thank goodness. Yeah. Because- well, and that was that, this, at that point. No place for that. Yeah, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't matter if the players hurt or not. Either same, it's the act. same with the Lucas Raymond one, right? With with yeah. Zadorov. But no, like we were talking about the Turjan and Hunter one. What heals quicker and easier? A broken arm or a brain? How long have we been seeing in sports like hockey and football and other high contact sports that CTE is a problem? Look at wrestlers, right? Like. Constant head injuries, taking kicks, punches, things to the head. UFC fighters, boxers. The brain doesn't heal. So get this chicken shit garbage of 
clipping a guy in the head with a dirty elbow, referring to Brendan Gallagher's, these jumping into people hits, these cross checks to the head. Get it out of the game. Stop hiding behind the, well, he hasn't been suspended before, so I think we're okay to let him off with the warning. Right? Like, it, it's just, oh, wow. <laughs> stop it. Like, just, this is why I said third party, get it out of the hands of the Mr. Violent Gentleman himself, George Peros, or any former NHLer, and just be done with it. Give someone the rule book, give them the act, and let them decide. Love it. Love it. Leafs Nation. We'd love to hear from you. Sense Nation. There's a lot of shit on Twitter this morning, and I love them. It's great. Reach out to us on X, Twitter, Facebook. I'm at the BleacherCon 1. Ken's at the BleacherCon 2. Facebook, no, Bleacher Connection on Facebook. That's That was a lot longer of a conversation than yeah. I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. So now on to the main topic of the show, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I think we're going to cut this one a little short. Yeah. Again, we 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 prefaced trade deadlines coming up earlier in the show in our 45 minute intro. <laughs> trade deadlines coming up, it's about a month away. We had a significant trade go on well before we could go. Oh. We need to quickly get in our Super Bowl prediction. Oh right. Uh you can't skip 49ers, that. 49ers over the Chiefs 27-21. Just because I think the 49ers offense is too good, and we'll see if the Chiefs the Chiefs have a stellar defense. We'll see when you have to go up against that many, that many uh, potent offensive weapons. The, the big wild card here, obviously, is Purdy versus Mahomes. Can no, it's Purdy not? not? Is, is is Tony playing or not? Is Kadarius Tony playing or is he is he out? Because <laughs> <laughs> if Tony's in, I'm picking Niners all day. <laughs> Can Purdy? Is Purdy going to shit the bed in the big stage, or is Purdy going to play like he has all year? I call. He's going to play like he has all year. He's He was an MVP candidate for a reason. And I got the Niners. I'm going to go different. I'm going to say Chiefs. Let's go 35-16. Oh, um, wow. Reason, reason being is what you just prefaced, Brock Purdy. Not to say that he is not a, a good player. He's not a Mahomes. He's not a Kelsey. He's not, he's not one of those guys at the Chiefs that have been there how many times now? Right? We're not talking about... Two quarterbacks who've never been to the big game. This is this is just week 19 for the Kansas City Chiefs or week 20. These guys have been there. They've been there a lot. They are used to the bright lights. They are used to the, the showmanship of the Super Bowl. This is not new to them. Brock Purdy's what, in year two? Really? Right? Second full year behind, at the helm of the Niners? Um, I, 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 I wonder if he's going to crumble under the pressure we've seen diamonds be made from this pressure. We've also seen some turds. I I'm not saying he's going to be on that turd side of the, the spectrum, but I just don't know that he, he can like, let's see what happens. Like there's so many top players that crumble when it comes time to win that big game in the super bowl. So I'm going, going to go with the team and this is not a, uh, to be a, you know, safe bet guy i'm just i'm going with the team that i think this ain't new to them this is just another sunday and i think that they've got that talent to do it big thing is who's gonna win halftime taylor swift or usher yeah no kidding. who's gonna have a better performance i am gonna <laughs> side with, i'm going uh not that i'm a swifty but i'm gonna go taylor with this one because 
I don't know the last time Usher's performed live at a big stadium like this. Yeah, I'm kind of questioning the choice. Like they heard Usher's the halftime show. Okay. Um, like you couldn't get Tom Jones to come it. down I the hill. He puts on a yeah. show. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with with Usher. It's just it was a little out of left field. He must have a new album coming out soon or something, mm-hmm. or a third greatest hits album. We don't know. We'll see. I'm still waiting <laughs> for the first greatest hits album. <laughs> <laughs> Anniversary wow. editions of the album. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Niners, you're wrong. It's gonna be the Niners. Fine. Anyways, Chiefs, let's, let's just another Sunday. Let's uh let's move on to the big trade. The big trade we I just started to preface it between our two teams. Not the first time this year no. our two teams have hooked up on a trade. Uh Nikita Zadorov earlier in the year for a bag of pucks. Uh, I wasn't disappointed to see Zadorov go. Um he's been okay in Vancouver. I think you're starting to see a little bit more of the roller coaster up and down of Zadorov. But this isn't about Zadorov. This no. is about Elias Lindholm. And I want to go back to our recording. What was that? Two or three weeks ago now. Our last one, yeah. I totally called this trade. We were shooting the shit about the Flames and Canucks. And I said, hey, Ken, what do you think of a Andre Kuzmenko for... I said Chris Tanev and then quickly talked myself more into... No, this would be an Elias Lindholm trade. I called it. I said Kuzmenko for Lindholm and pieces back and forth. And then, like, fool, I walked it back at the end of the show and said, well, this will never happen because of Kuzmenko's age. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> this trade did happen. You could have been more right and wrong in the same sentence. Pat on the back, yeah, pat <laughs> on the back. I totally called this trade. From a play, I'll take it from the Flames' perspective. The Flames get Kuzmenko, a first, uh, a highly regarded prospect. I should probably have the trade details in front of me. I don't, unfortunately. Uh, Hunter, got, Hunter like, Bushnaves. Yeah, yeah, they got the guy who's leading the OHL in assists as a uh, as a defenseman right now. They got a conditional third round pick, fourth round pick, depends on how and then good y- the Yanni Yarmo and Yanni Yarmo. Who cares? That's just a throw in. Like I don't not expecting things from a Flames perspective. Love this trade, absolutely love it. You got your first round pick for Elias Lindholm. You got your highly touted prospect for Elias Lindholm. That's really all they wanted. You got another pick, a third-round pick. You got a prospect that's probably never going to see the light of day. And you got a reclamation project in Andre Kuzmenko. If, and this is a big if, you get the Andre Kuzmenko that scored 39 goals for the Vancouver Canucks last year, this is an absolute fleecing by Craig Conlon. If you don't, well, then you got what you originally asked for. I I was shocked when I, I was you know sitting in a pub in Montreal when I saw this trade come down and I pretty much had to ignore my coworkers for the next hour as I tried to sort out what, uh, what was and wasn't in this deal from a flames perspective. I love it from a Canucks perspective. I love it. The Canucks got what they wanted too. This might actually be a trade where both teams got what they wanted. If Kuzmeko turns into the 40 goal man and say re-ups and becomes an elite scorer for the flames, and Elias Lindholm walks on the Canucks this summer, well, then it's an absolute fleecing for the uh, for the Flames, but that's a big if. The Canucks got what they wanted. It's two teams in completely different realms. You got one that, you know, thinks they're a Stanley Cup contender because they've had one good 50-game stretch in, in, in a decade, and now all of a sudden they're selling everything to become a Stanley Cup contender, and 
I'm still not sold on that, but they're doing what they need to do. I like it. I like it from both teams' perspective. I like it more from a Flames perspective if Kuzmenko turns into the 40-goal man and if he unlocks Jonathan Huberto. This is phenomenal, but that's a big if, and, and time will only tell on that one. Yeah, I think uh, like a lot of people, the, the announcement of the trade, I mean, I had just turned off playing NHL 24. My phone buzzed, like I checked Twitter, X, whatever the hell you want to call it, and I see the the, the trade, I'm like, well, this is bullshit. Okay, here it is again. More bullshit? Like, oh, this actually happened. Okay. And, and it came through. And I think, you know, right away, a lot of Flames fans were calling this a fleecing. And I, I disagree. And, I, I mean, you're going to be looking at a first-round pick that's going to be 25th or higher, right? Like, and there are, yeah. they're saying that this is a, a shallow draft year. Um and they, I hate saying that because it's not to knock any of the players. Like you, you never know what's going to happen, but it's going to put your drafting capabilities to the test. Let's yes, just say that. So, and, and I'm one that I I've said it a hundred times over. I'll take a known commodity over a draft pick any day because you know what you're getting, and you don't got to wait five six years to see what's going to happen if they're going to make it, if they're gay, if they can do it. Um, I, I I like the trade, right? I think you know if the Canucks can re-sign Lindholm at not $9 because let's be honest, everyone who's calling him a $9 million player after that year with Johnny and, and Kachuk, and he hasn't been a $9 million player since, right? Um, he's going to be playing, like right now he's playing with Miller and Besser, but if he could be playing with Petey, then you've got guys that are around him that could help him be a better player. Maybe you can convince him on a bridge deal to stay a little bit longer, like for a few years at six and a half, seven, whatever. No like, chance. No well, chance. I'm just, you never know what's going to happen. This, what the this is his do. payday. No yeah. chance. This is his payday. Huh? We'll see he's what happens. For eight. He's going for eight by nine. And I don't, I see almost like very limited chance that he's going to stay in Vancouver. Because Vancouver doesn't have the cap space to, to bring him in at eight or $9 million. And that's what it's going to cost. Free, freed up five and a half in the Kuzmenko deal. Miller's, Six yes, mil is going to be off the books. No, but you also got Miller's six mil coming off the books. There's other, like, they got a lot of guys that got to sign at the end of the year, but I think they can get it done because not a lot of the other guys are going to be asking for massive raises, right? Um, there might be a chance to make not. Who knows? But if it gets the Canucks deep into the playoffs or uh, the cup and he walks, I, I think you're fine with that, right? Yeah, I, I, um, I like that end of it. And I totally agree with that piece of it. This is a now trade yeah. for the Vancouver Canucks, hundred percent. No way is Elias Lindholm staying there, and if he does, I'll eat my words. I just don't see how no. Vancouver can make that work. I, I just I mean, you, you never know. Like you got to see what they can do, right? Like even if you would have to convince PD to take a bridge deal, right? Which may or may happen. He anyways. already took a bridge deal. There's yeah. no way. There's no way Elias Pedersen is taking a bridge deal. He already took one. There's yeah. no way. But maybe I, I'm saying if you could convince. Lindholm to take a bridge to say we'll give you a two-year deal at the I'm not saying like you can shake your head all you want the scenario so if he does well with the Canucks and he does start producing at a better clip than where he was maybe he does resign because he likes the dynamic of the team and the players he goes I'm a fit here right because the fit wasn't happening in Calgary anymore when the two guys left so maybe he realizes hey I fit and work here and I can be a better player. And with the cap going up in a couple of years, in a year or two, whatever it is, 
he then shows it and then they can give him that bigger deal when the cap goes up. Who knows? I'm saying they're, you never know. I would never say that it's a done deal on signing him or not. We'll see what happens because it, the outcome will, I think, help determine that. If they can win and get deep and produce and and win a cup, then I think that does. It's a little more enticing to him to stay. As for the other pieces, like the Hunter, which it's not Bushnevich, but it's pretty damn close. Um, yeah, he's leading the OHL in defenseman scoring. He's in the top five or whatever of all OHL scoring overall. But it doesn't always trans. He's doing it as an overager too. He's nineteen or twenty. So in reality, he should be dominating 16 and 17-year-olds, right? He could turn out to be a, a good defenseman. I don't know that he's going to be an elite scorer like he is right now. And oh, you yeah. still you still got to wait to find out, right? So I have no issue with it. The Canucks have other prospect pieces to hang on to. So, yeah, they made a deal that makes sense. I like it. It's a win-win for both teams. Um, Kuzmenko, the... The caveat there is the big question is, can you resign him? He had to wait. He decided after four days of talking to management and the coaching staff from Calgary to waive his no trade clause. That's what it all hinged on. That's why Lindholm didn't know he was traded before he left Cabo and he was on a plane to Toronto when it did go down was because Kuzmenko finally said, okay, I'll waive. Now that's going to be the big piece there. He was sought after as a free agent before he signed to Vancouver. I don't know him becoming the 39 goal scorer again with Huberto could be enough to keep him because he got made five and a half after that deal. He's might look if he scores another 40 next year has a good resurgence for the last 33 games or whatever it is with you guys. And then goes out and scores 40 next year while well, the bright lights in New York or, or LA or Vegas or someone could be calling. And I, I think that could be a drawaway factor for him. Actually, I do want to jump in on that point because I'm not actually on the train of we need to, if Kuzmenko gets going again and becomes that 40-goal guy, I'm not actually on the train of re-sign this guy. I'm on the train of, hey, you just acquired another UFA, highly sought after 40-goal guy that you might be able to sell at next year's deadline. So or you At the draft. Like, or at the draft. like it, it's I'm more on the train with Kuzmenko of, you know, unless there's ridiculous chemistry with Jonathan Huberto and Huberto returns to 80, 90 point player with Kuzmenko, then you 100% need to be looking at re-signing Andre Kuzmenko because you still have seven more years of Jonathan Huberto after this year. So I'm 100% on the train of if he unlocks Jonathan Huberto, you do whatever it takes to get that guy re-signed. Pay him but, 11 and a half for nine years? Well, you know, maybe not quite that much, but I'm, I'm on that trade. But I'm looking at it more. If you've gone and unlocked Andre Kuzmenko to be 25-30 goal Kuzmenko again, you're looking at selling him. And you just turned one potential UFA that you got assets for into two that you got assets for. And then could you potentially use that draft capital to bring in, uh, we talked about acquiring elite-level talent earlier in the show. Could you use these draft capital that you're going to get for Elias Lindholm, Chris Tanev, and bring in elite level talent. That's what I'm more interested in. And say you do sell off Kuzmenko and get another first rounder, second rounder. Can you package that to bring in elite level talent for a longer term Jonathan Huberto solution? To me, this is all about a Jonathan Huberto solution 
than anything else because whether we like it or not, Flames fans, we're stuck with that. We need to come up with a resolution for that somehow. And I think there's a, a potential here with Kuzmenko or can you use a Kuzmenko return to do it? That's that's the train I'm on. Yeah, I mean, the big thing too is whether you keep him or not. You, you're going to have money to spend, but you, you also need to have the shiny pieces to entice free agents to come. And a struggling Huberto who you need to come in and pick up may not be the shiny piece. That That's why I'm saying via talent. trade. I'm saying yeah. via trade. This is either you draft the guy or trade for the guy because you ain't signing a free agent that is going to come here and you're, you're not signing uh, the number one best overall center in the free agent draft or in the free agent class with the saying, hey, you're going to be our Jonathan Huberto whisperer. That, that's just, just not going to happen. You just traded him. You just yeah, traded him. that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you guys are in tough a little bit there because you got to have something that's going to be a, a drawing piece for these guys that are looking for a new team. And even if you trade for it, you still got to convince them to stay when it becomes free agent time. So if you're not doing it there, it uh, it could be a little bit tougher. Again, let, let's quickly touch on the other Calgary Flames UFAs. There is a ton of smoke out there right now surrounding Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanna. Surprisingly, on, on Hockey Night in Canada last night, there was also talk about Jacob Markstrom. And there was conversations between the Flames and the Devils. The Devils saw firsthand earlier this week what happens when you have a shitty goalie in Vanacek and a good goalie in Jacob Markstrom. Well, Jacob Markstrom won it. Vanacek looked like dog shit, and, and the Flames beat the Devils strictly because Markstrom stood on his head and Vanacek didn't. Ken, is, is this even a possibility that it has to be. Markstrom gets traded? Yes, because a team like New Jersey, a team like Carolina, will come calling. Right? Like, it, it it's one of those situations where those are two teams that are in the thick of things. And if they had better goaltending could be unstoppable, right? Like what did we say? New, New Jersey's on the outside looking in right now, I believe um, they wouldn't be if they had a goaltender. Billy, I'm not going to say his name because he doesn't deserve the airtime, had a goaltender and they're sitting in third in the Metro right now because they got goaltending. It'll be interesting to see what happens now. But New Jersey doesn't have the goaltending, so they're sitting on the outside looking in. That shouldn't happen. Carolina like, is at 65 points in 30, 16, and 5. They're doing well with the tandem and way that they're working, but they don't have a clear-defined number one goaltender. So those are two teams right there off the top of my head that I can name that would come calling Right, like, let's be honest. Toronto is la- always linked in on everybody, right? Like, I, I want to stop. Ha- I want to stop you right there because my prediction: if Jacob Markstrom gets traded, it is going to be the tr- to the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs need a goalie in the worst way. The worst way. They play in a division that's too good. They don't have a good enough goaltending in this division to come out of it. 
If Jacob Markstrom gets traded, I'm going to say it right now, it's going to be to the Toronto Maple Leafs, not the New Jersey Devils. The New Jersey Devils are six points out of a playoff spot right now. Now, this might be more of a next-year move for, for the Devils. It's going to be Toronto because who else could it be? They, they haven't had a goalie for how long? This solves such a critical problem for them. And I also think part of that trade would also involve Chris Tanner. And coming back, you're going to be looking at guys like TJ Brody. who's going to be coming back to Calgary for to finish off his final season to make the money work. It's going to be a 2025 first round because I think that's all that the Leafs have. But that's supposedly a stronger draft. I only see the Toronto Maple Leafs as the actual destination for Jacob Markstrom. I, I, in theory, I, I I would agree, but in in reality, it can't happen. They can't make seven. They can't trade Markstrom through seven teams with fifty percent retention to make the money work. They have twenty six thousand six hundred and sixty six in cap space because of LTIR relief. Their projected cap hit is ninety seven, almost ninety seven and a half million dollars. They cannot make it work. They have to remove massive pieces off their roster, which weakens them even more to make it work. A team like where it works to me is almost Jersey or bust with Carolina as a outlier because New Jersey right now, right this second has $9.6 million in cap base because of injuries. Dougie Hamilton, I think done for the year. That's almost all of that money right there. You can bring in Markstrom without removing a single piece of your roster. Now, you might have to because of the magnitude of the trade, but Carolina's got 4.125 in space. You can make it work with some maybe retention or a a piece coming off of your roster that isn't going to be detrimental. The Leafs, yes, need a goaltender, and I hope they never get it. But it's not going to be Mark Markstrom because they cannot make the money work over the length of the contract, even I with Calgary they, taking retention. I, I don't think Calgary will retain on Markstrom. There's zero chance they'll retain. And they can't do than, it. They can't do yeah. it then. I think they can. And the only reason I think they can is because Calgary will be willing to bring back bad contracts. And Calgary gained some cap flexibility by one of the team players involved in the scandal. I don't want to give them any airtime. We gained a little bit of cap space, which allows us to have a little bit more cap flexibility to bring back bad contracts. I'm looking at Max Domi. I'm looking at TJ Brody. That's $8 million in cap space that makes it work this year. They also have Tyler Bertuzzi next year, five and a half million coming off their cap. The cap's going up. I do think the Leafs can make it work. And I think it would center around Chris Tanev to replace TJ Brody because Chris and the Flames might be willing to retain on Chris Tanev to drive that price up with TJ Brody coming back to replace to to make the money work and also be because Calgary still wants to try to make the playoffs like even once they do make these trades. So, you know, if you bring back TJ Brody or you bring back Max Domi or Tyler Bertuzzi, you're plugging guys into your lineup to still allow them to kind of half-ass go for it this year, but also make the money work the other way. I'm, I don't think it's that far-fetched. 
And look who the, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs is Brad for living. He knows these guys intimately. You telling me if he had a chance to bring Jacob Markstrom and or Chris Tanev and or Noah Hannafin, he's not going to find a way to make the money work. He's very familiar with these guys. I just, I look at Calgary and Toronto. It's so natural that these two combine on a big trade before, between now and the deadline. Okay. So I've got cat friendly up this season alone with the roster that they have healthy. The Leafs have $54.4 million going to forwards. Okay. Next season, right now, they have four, five, six, seven forwards signed at $49.7 million. Less than $5 million off the books with five guys leaving. Right. Their defense has Riley Morgan at seven and a half. Jake McCabe at two, Honor Timmins at 1.1. There's six defensemen that are UFA or RFA. RFAs are Lilligren, Benoit, and Leloy. Some of them are going to get raises. They got no goaltending. That's why I'm saying goal. you get you get Markster locked in at six million. It's a guarantee. It's easier to work with guaranteed money. You know you have to find a way to fit Jacob Markstrom in for two more seasons at $6 million. You get set. You know what you have to pay him as opposed to an unknown commodity of another goalie. That's why I think it makes so much sense with the Leafs. So what the, the cap's going up to what? 83 million next year. Right. Something like that. Okay. So 83 million. Let's say they make this work, right? Brody's off the books anyways. Who else are you throwing in there? Uh, Domi, he's off the books anyways. Okay, Tyler Bertuzzi's off the books. So, but but here's no, but, okay, that's fine. But we're talking about money that isn't is, that is already not allocated to Toronto's roster next year, right? They already have sixty four five. They have sixty five million dollars already tied up. They now have less than twenty million to sign a backup goaltender. Six defensemen, yeah, six defensemen. Because uh, if if uh, Tanev goes, he's off the books too, right? And Ken's counting on his fingers. Yeah. As he's no, I'm, I'm trying to keep track. <laughs> twelve players, twelve players with less than twenty million to do it. The Leafs will put themselves in the same messed up bullshit roster situation they are, where they're still relying on four guys and a goaltender. To get it done, which leaves the roster still effed because you're going they're outside. That, they're going to be in that spot no matter what. So why not have a good goalie for once? They're in this predicament no matter what, whether they have Jacob Markstrom or they don't. You're talking about Ilya, and maybe you can get the Flames to retain maybe a million dollars. You toss in another second rounder in 2029 to make that work, to get the Flames to retain a million dollars. And all of a sudden... Like they're paying Ilya Simpson off three three point five million this year. If you can get the Flames to retain on a million bucks, you're only talking about one point five million more for Jacob Markstrom. Such an upgrade over Samsonov. It just makes so much. And sense I'm not saying it's not, but the thing is, how but they're much fucked longer... with that no matter what. They got know, that but, core four. They're they fucked also, no matter what. They also have an opportunity to try 
to figure it out because at the end of next season, you get uh, Marner and Tavares off the books at eleven and almost eleven million dollars. Well, Marner's one not of them, going anywhere. One of them's <laughs> not coming back. One of them's not coming back. Well, it's probably Tavares. Tavares. Or he's taken a massive pay cut. The thing with the Leafs is it this roster makeup, whether of how they're paying players or who's on the roster, is not working. So how many more times can you roll out the same damn thing and expect a different outcome? Right? We've both seen Jacob Markstrom play a lot of games as a Canuck and as a Flame. He plays well. But he also, if he doesn't have the guys in front of him, it can get ugly. This isn't a knock on him. I like Jacob Markstrom, right? Like, I'm not, I wasn't ever upset he went to the Flames. I got, I'm glad he got paid because he deserved to. But we also had Demko. We didn't need him. Like, we, you know, right? There wasn't a need to sign him to that money and make it work because we had a guy coming up who was going to be just as good, if not better, younger, right? Um, I have no ill will against any of the guys that left the Canucks that year because they deserved to get the money and they did. The Canucks couldn't give it to them. But what I'm saying with the Leafs is they can't keep it. Like, was it the definition definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and accept, expect different results? Just because you replace one cog of Jacob Markstrom when then next season, after next season, remove John Tavares doesn't mean you're doing anything different if everything lines up the same way when you're probably going to give Marner 12 million, 11 and a half million, right? Over eight years. It just doesn't make sense to keep doing the same damn thing over and over and over again. I That's where I think they have an opportunity to try something else, do it. I just think New Jersey will have a better opportunity to provide more than what the Leafs can in return for Jacob Marsh. That's why I think for me, it's New Jersey. And I don't disagree with the idea that uh, New Jersey can offer more and New Jersey is probably more of a long-term solution anyways, because I don't know that New Jersey is going to win this year. I just short-term think this, you know, really good for Toronto. A longer-term play for Jacob Markstrom and wanting to win a Stanley Cup, probably New Jersey because that team's a lot closer, in my opinion, to a Stanley Cup than Toronto is. Maybe I, not this year, but Jersey in the two years younger. following. And I think you can get a better return from New Jersey for sure. I New Jersey, you get younger players you can put in the lineup. With Toronto draft picks, Like they, they don't have – they got a first this year, no second over the next three years. They have the Islanders third. Uh, like it's just they got – who knows? They're going to have to get rid of – this year or 2026 first overall pick somewhere, right? Like I just they, feel like you can take advantage of Toronto this year because they're in such a window. It's this year, next year, and then there's a whole unknown with the Toronto Maple Leafs because Marner's up, Tavares is up. I just think there's a big unknown with that team. And I think you can take advantage of the fact that Trilliving's a brand new GM. It hasn't gone well for him this first year, and he's looking to make a splash to right the ship for what's happened this year. I think you can take advantage of that. And I think you can somehow get Toronto to overpay because they know they're desperate. And I think that that package to me would have to be Markstrom and Tanever Hannafin to really make them overpay. Because if you add Tanev and Markstrom to that team without taking too much off their existing roster, now other than make the money work, I think you can exploit that. And from a Calgary Flames perspective, Craig Conroy needs to be trying to exploit somebody and who better 
would it be then Brad for living? Like, yeah, it, it, the story just writes itself, Ken. Well, I think releases like, for living and sets the Maple Leafs back a decade. Like, how would you love that storyline? <laughs> <laughs> I think for New Jersey, you could get their first round pick this year. The second, Ooh, I don't know, get, because that could be a top 15 pick. It would probably be protected, lottery protected. It'd be probably conditions on that one. But at the same time, if they really want the goaltender for now in the future, like for the next while, I think you could say, look, we want it. You need them. You need Markster more than we do. Give us, we want your first not protected, right? And then you build your package around a guy like maybe it's uh just yeah, it's probably not a Jesper Bratt coming back, but like you could look at maybe a Mercer Dawson, a uh, Simon Nemich, uh, Nick to Simone, um, <laughs> knowing Simone was just picked up on waivers. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I was that's why I was like side eyeing the monitor to see your reaction <laughs> on it. <laughs> As soon as I saw I him, think, oh, I'm throwing him in there. I, I think you can make a trade. To me, Vinnick Vanacek's going to be coming back the other way because in this trade, because the Flames still need a goalie, and you could have him play behind Dustin Wolf. Like this is all about getting Dustin Wolf yeah. playing time in Calgary. I think you would be bringing Vinnick Vanacek back in this trade to kind of be the one B because you know Dan Bladar's probably not going to be a Calgary Flame after this year. And yeah, and and Benichek has NHL experience. He's been a number one guy, lost the number one guy a couple times, but he's been there, right? Like, yeah, he would fill the need that you have. To me, I'm calling it, it's the Devils. Toronto can keep looking and get Jack Campbell back at twice the price they want to pay him. It's fascinating. I was shocked when I heard the Marshall was available because up until I never, ever, 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 ever believed that Jacob Marshall was going to get traded. I just, I'm not on that train. I still not hundred percent on that train because I just never thought he'd get traded because you want him to mentor Dustin Wolf. Dan Lennard is going to be gone after this off season. Next season to me, it is a 70, 30 split where Dustin Wolf plays 30% of the games, Jacob Markson plays 70%. The season after that, it's probably more of a 50-50 split. And then the season after that, Dustin Wolf's your starter. Like the, the, yeah. that's how I've always seen the timeline go. But if you can capitalize on the fact that Markstrom is playing outstanding, I think you also have to look at that. I just worried about what happens to Dustin Wolf if you throw him to the wolves too early. Well, here's here's the thing. This is this is where um this is why I was going to say Ovi, just because he just scored. Um, Marstrom's name comes into the mix. He also signed with Calgary because he wanted to play and win games. Yep. Be on a team that was going to be in the playoffs. And the Canucks weren't at the time. I have no issue saying that. He went to Calgary because Calgary was showing we're a playoff team. Didn't quite turn out that way. He is getting, he's 34, he's getting up in his career, and he wants to win. So I think he did go to uh, Conroy and say, look, if you're getting offers, I'll listen. But I think he holds all the cards, but that's why. But yeah. I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw a curveball at you here. A name we haven't talked about, Nazem Kadri. Because, well, you, you, you kind of, you know. Uh, there's so much term that, left on that contract. That's a tough one. Like, that's not a trade deadline move to me. 
no, no, no. And it may or may not be a deadline, but it is a move that you could see forced because when there was the talk in the offseason and things like that, he said he doesn't want to be on a rebuilding team. Calgary has kind of making it seem known that they are going to be sellers and they are going to be rebuilding. So what does Nazem Kadri, who signed with Calgary to win games and go to the playoffs, force does he say to him, I'm out. I don't want to do this. Get me out of here. Right? Like, I think that I think that fully depends on what happens, what kind of return you do get for Chris Tanner, for Noah Hannafin, maybe Jacob Marks, or maybe, you know, is a guy like Blake Coleman maybe available? Like, I think it really depends on the next 12 months, let's say, of, you know, what do you get for a return? What do you do with the return? Do you only draft young guys? Do you try to turn some of those extra draft picks into, into win now guys? Like, is this a full rebuild? Is this a retool? Is this what happens with Jonathan Huberto? Does he, yeah. you know, Huberto's been playing good hockey for about, you know, 20 games now, 25 games. He's starting to get some of the points. You know, I'm not saying Jonathan Huberto is back, but if Jonathan Huberto becomes a point of game player again, that I think that highly affects Nazem Kadri. Like the next 12 months to me really dictates what you do with Nazem Kadri. Yeah. as opposed to right now because that, we don't know what the flames are 12 months from now maybe they maybe they make a string of ridiculously good trades and all of a sudden do get themselves back into contention it could be i, I don't know but it, i just it, it was something that was just nagging because i just i know what he had said in the off season about it and if that's the way he still is thinking he could become a problem no one's taking up Huberto on that full contract, and you're not going to re- you're not going to retain for that length on fifty percent. In all honesty, if Jonathan Huberto doesn't pull it together, regardless of who he's playing for, two years that's a buyout contract. Oh. That's a that's a it's a it's a Oliver Ekman Larson buyout contract. Wasn't doing it. Canucks had to buy him out. They bit the bullet. Uh, not quite With five as. years left though. Woo, I don't know about that. Are you going to pay a guy ten and a half million for fifty points at best? That's so much more. It was going to be paying a guy six million for nothing. <laughs> but you get some. You, you get four million in cap space to deal with, right? But you at least get cap space to spend a little bit, right? Like it, it's a. We can go into a Jonathan Huberto buyout another time, but I want to get your thought on two names here. Um, the first one, quick. Correct, right amount, overpay, or what do you think on it? Uh, Sean Monaghan, first round pick, going back to the Canadians. Uh, Monaghan from the Jets. Monaghan is now a Winnipeg Jet. Overpay or fair? Uh, well done by Montreal. Um, you said she edited well documented. You more or less got two firsts for Sean Monaghan. Well done by Montreal. I don't believe Sean Monaghan was worth was worth a first round pick. Um, Winnipeg kind of reached kind of reached a desperation where Winnipeg they're having trouble scoring yeah. and and they're like we better make a move. I feel like they may have been able to get a better player than Sean Monahan. I love Sean Monahan, but they didn't acquire 25, 30 goals. Sean Monahan, they didn't. They acquired how many goals does he have this year? Like under uh, ten, I believe. Yeah, like you know he's on pace for maybe fifteen. I just don't feel like a fifteen goal scorer is worth a first round pick. I love Sean Monahan. God, this isn't a knock on Sean Monahan. This is a knock on the price the Winnipeg Jets paid for Sean Monahan. Huge overpay, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, overpay. 
And there was a lot of, there were some rumors that the Canucks were in on him. And my, my response to that was Sean Monaghan. The answer to the, for the Canucks that, to the question that no one was asking, like he was not going to fix, he, he's not, I'd rather pay what we paid for Lindholm again for someone else over Sean Monaghan. He just, he's not that player. And him staying healthy is such a question mark. Like that is the big, big thing on that. So He's yeah, got 13 a, goals this year, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Overpay. Uh, to me, it's an overpay. Like, are you going to get eight more goals out of Sean Monaghan this year in the last 30 games? I don't know that you are. Like, yeah. I, again, it's this isn't a knock on Sean Monaghan. It's a knock on the, the price that Winnipeg paid. Yeah. I just, he's playing better, but can you keep him healthy? Like, that's another thing. Sean Monaghan gets hurt all the time. And he's going to be playing you know, high intensity hockey with the, the Jets. That he wasn't playing with the Canadians. The Jets are playing playoff hockey right now to, to keep their spot where they are. Montreal Canadians are just playing hockey. Now, yeah. let's go to one name here, which to me is is a surprise somewhat in that we talk about these real building teams and having these young up-and-coming stars that you, you want to build around. And it, to me, the fact that Trevor Zegers' name from the Montreal, or not Montreal, Anaheim Ducks is out there is a little shocking until you maybe hear some of the stuff that's going on. Trevor Zegers is the type of player that most teams would like to build around. Um, but apparently there is some headbutting between him and GM Pat Verbeek. And to me, a rebuilding team that is looking to offload a very young, marketable, talented player, to me raises a lot of red flags. Trevor, what do you think about this? I don't know what I think about it, to be honest. I'm Trevor Zegers has a lot of skill, a lot of flash, but that's about it. it Jacob Markstrom has more assists than Trevor Zegers this year. Yep. With four. That, and that's not saying much for Trevor Zegers. Like the guy's got all the skill in the world, but I don't know. The, the huge red flag to me that a young up-and-comer that you think can have 30 goal potential is all of a sudden on the trading block. Like it, it almost screams Patrick Liney to me of not, doesn't like where he is. It's all about me. Like, I don't know. I don't know Trevor Zegers from a hole in the wall. I know he's got a shit ton of skill, but it, it just, it really, really seems odd to me that a guy with so much fanfare. And now to be fair, a lot of his fanfare is over crazy, ridiculous, high skill plays that, you know, he pulls off once or twice a year well, let's worry about the other 80 games that he's played. Like maybe he's not as good as we actually think he is. He just has a couple of high, highlight real goals to his name. Maybe he's not as good of a player as we think he is. Maybe Pat Verbeek recognizes that and goes, I got to sell high on this guy before he has another season where he only gets five assists in a year. Like maybe it's, maybe it's just Pat Verbeek coming to a realization, this guy ain't as good as we think he is, and I got to try to sell high on him. I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I find it very fishy when a player of with that much noticeable skill becomes available. Yeah, and, and I'm just, I'm trying to go through here because I can't. The Ducks just also just traded Jamie Drysdale to Philly, which was his best. Yeah, they have a wealth. And, yeah, but they have a wealth of. Uh, prospects on the back end, so right. I get that trade. Well, who and who did they get back from him? For him, the Hunter Gauthier. Or... Right, 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 right. Yeah, the kid. Hunter Gauthier, sorry, not Hunter Cutter. 
Yeah, the kid who didn't want to play in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that it's a huge red flag that you're taking a guy like Trevor Zegers and looking to move on from him when you're rebuilding, and that's the type of player. Like, is his ego as big as his flash? Right? Because you're right. Like, he makes these wild, crazy plays. Really, that's about it. Like, it seems to be he also, like, he, his actions on the ice, he talks a lot. But he hasn't really done a lot to earn that right to talk as much shit as he does. It, it's just fascinating to me that it, it, we talk about acquiring elite-level talent for the Calgary Flames. I would pose this question to Calgary Flames Nation. If you could make a Trevor Zegers trade work, would you do it? I wouldn't because... They're th- because of this, right? This like guys like this shouldn't be available that young in their career. Yeah. So that to me, that's a huge, you know, what's going on? What, you know, how is he behind closed doors? That, that to me is scary. Like, and, and I kind of look at it at the Cody Hodgson situation, right? Like that was a player that's a that really good comparison that it should be untouchable because he's up and coming. And yes, he's not, he's a center, but he was playing behind Sid- Henrik and uh, Ryan Kessler at the time, who at the time you're not getting ahead of them in the lineup. So you have to adapt and maybe play wing or show that you are better than say Ryan Kessler on the faceoff. So Kess has to move to the wing, right? Like that, that team that he was part of with the Canucks was stacked and he was supposed to be part of the future, but his attitude and apparently uh, his dad's involvement of telling the team where he should be playing, uh, the Canucks went, we're done with you. And they shipped him out. And it turned out the return they got was that Cassian who had a much longer career than Cody Hodgson did. Cody Hodgson kind of phased out and fizzled out after Buffalo and I think a short stint in Nashville. He he retired and now apparently is trying to resurrect his career and come out of retirement. But yeah, like you really got a question, I think, when teams, especially rebuilding teams a team that's in the hunt for the cup year in year out is going to use that blue chip prospect to to get that final missing piece right now right uh but when a rebuilding team is not killing any rumors that their top young player is available yeah you're sending up the red flags i just hope for zegers's sake he could stay healthy he's battled some some injury bug this year you know, he is an exciting dynamic player. I'll give him that. He he has highlight reels. You know, he's got all the skill in the world. Can he translate it to a long, successful NHL career? I hope so, because, you know, he's a personality. I think the biggest conflict, and you you said this right off the start, what is him and Pat Verbeek. Verbeek doesn't like to give out long-term, high-dollar extensions, max deals. And I think that's... I ultimately think that that's going to be a huge problem for the Anaheim Ducks because young players want to get paid and get paid fast. And I think Zegers is the first of that of that player in Anaheim going, if you're not going to give me seven, eight years and max max term, max money, I'm out of here. Like, yeah. I think, you know, it's a little bit of both to me on both sides. Maybe for Beak recognizes he's not worth max term, max money, but – you also have to realize the young guys want max term, max money, and you got to meet in the middle somewhere. And and this one's fascinating to me. I don't think he'll get traded. I do not. I think he'll end up signing a 
max term, big money deal, because that's the cost of doing business. And Verbeek can try to hold his feet over the fire. At the end of the day, you can't let young talent walk. Yeah. Well, you heard it here. Now that Trevor's claimed he won't, within the hour, he will be. And it <laughs> 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 usually seems how it, how it goes for us. Um, yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. And I, I think Brian Burke said it before. These these guys nowadays want to go from their entry level contract into their third or fourth contract, with not necessarily paying them for what they have done, but what they could do. This isn't the NBA. This isn't the NFL. This isn't Major League Baseball, where prospects are getting handed monster contracts based on who they are and where they were drafted. The NHL is a show me league. We'll pay you after you've done it. And how many contracts do we still see getting handed out to players who used to be 30, 40 goal men, right? You're paying players in the NHL for what they used to do, what they have done. Like, you know, Victor Wembayana of the San Antonio Spurs is making about 10 times as, as much as Connor Bedard. Well, because that's how the NBA operates. They pay their stars from day one, regardless of what you've done. But they'll also drop your ass real quick if you don't live up to it. Where the, the NHL, they don't. The NHL's quickly become a what have you done for me lately league. And kids do get paid coming out of their entry level deals, but but only the kids get paid that deserve to get paid. And I yeah. shouldn't say deserve, have produced to get earned paid. it. They've earned it. Earned it. And, and you're now seeing a bunch of 30 year old NHLers who are on the decline not getting paid. And they still get contracts. They don't typically get, unless your name is Jonathan Huberto, you don't typically get huge money <laughs> deals for a what have you done. Now, to be fair, he signed that coming off 113-point season. With so, another team before with, you stepped with on another the ice. Team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the NHL, and I kind of like this, has become more of a what have you done for me lately league, and I'll pay you for what you've done lately, yeah. which I think is the right way of doing business. Yeah, like you, like to me, it's all about you got to earn it, right? And the the everyone has to come to the decision, like the realization that this isn't the other three big leagues where you get paid just because of where you were drafted, right? There is no thirty million dollar draft bonus for getting picked first overall. Yeah, so, Neil Yakupov. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's. I think we've talked a lot about trades here, and I think within the next couple minutes, we could cover off our Jays offseason recap but hit us up what do you th- let us know what you think about the uh the trades that have been made what we think is going to go down Trevor's at the BleacherCon one on X I'm at the BleacherCon two hit us up on our Facebook page uh the Bleacher Connection all right Trevor I'm gonna we're gonna talk Jays offseason recap real quick I'm gonna give you my two cents on it it's bullshit we're gonna suck thanks for tuning in everyone no just kidding no, I think uh, that's summed yeah. it up yeah thanks everyone <laughs> yeah it, it has not been good like this this 40-man roster is so bad they got uh, how bad is it well um isaiah kinner falafa is listed as an outfielder pretty sure we thought he was being signed to be the everyday second baseman maybe but uh we are so shallow in depth that the he is listed as an outfielder uh, our big, huge signing of the offseason, Justin Turner, turns 75 next week. Um, he's our DH. Um, I don't mind the Justin Turner move. It's a one year. It very much reminds me of Brandon Belt, but yeah. I think it's the guy who hits better than Brandon Belt. 
the Jays, this has been, I joke, this has been a disaster of an offseason. I don't mind it either. But yeah, the, the rest of it, the fact that a 39-year-old DH is like your, your massive improvement to this team, we're going into this season with a roster that's worse than last year. 100%. And uh, they better know something. They better be giving them all steroids. I don't care at this point. Juice them all. <laughs> figure it out. Because this is bullshit. It's been a disaster. They reported, what, four days, pitchers and catchers for spring training. Oh, I'm so excited, baseball. But uh, what a train wreck. And they have not addressed any of their needs. I was actually, before we start recording, I had to think to myself, was like, what is one reason why I'm optimistic heading into this season as a Toronto Blue Jays fan? And the only thing that I could come up with was Alec Manoa. If you can get a return to form from Alec Manoa and he appears to be putting in the work, if you can get back to Cy Young caliber pitching from Alec Manoa and the rest of the starting rotation pitched like they did last year, I can have some reason for optimism, but that's big F. And that was the only, only piece of optimism I could come up with is if he returns to form, the Jays should be a very good team, but that's, that's scary. Scary the to pro- think that guy who was so is, bad last year. Yeah, the problem is, is you need to expect your pitching pitching staff to absolutely dominate. Kill it again. Yep. Every game because the it's just not there. Like looking at the depth chart, like you've got obviously Jansen and Kirk. You got first Flatty Turner, but Biggio. Second Biggio Schneider Espinal. Third. Uh, Falafa, Kiner Falafa, Turner, Espinal, Short, Bichette, Kiner Falafa, Espinal, left field, Varsho, Falafa, Schneider, Kiermaier, Varsho, Kiner Falafa, Cam Eden in center. It's a lot of right overlap field. there. Yeah. <laughs> in, in right field, Springer, Biggio, Kiner Falafa, and DH, Turner, and, and Vladdy. This team doesn't have it. Uh, I mean, you again, they're still taking They're L's missing a the, bat. They're missing well, a bat. And they, they took another L in the offseason by losing the arbitration case to Vladdy. Pay the guy. What like what why are you nickling and diming the guy that should be your corner piece, cornerstone piece of the franchise? Pay him. Like you've now got him locked up. Like he can be a free agent in 2025 now or whatever. Yeah, two years, one year yeah, away. Like yeah. good job, guys. Wait, way to screw that one up. Because if you don't get your shit together, he's gone. And so pony up. Yeah, pony up, pay him, and lock it down. Figure it out. Stop nickling and diming this roster into bullshit results because that's all you're getting right now. Yeah, I I think we can agree this has been a train wreck of an offseason. It's still not too late to fix it. I don't know who you fix it with, though. Like Everybody says Cody Bellinger. I am nowhere in that train of paying him huge money. If you could get him on a short-term Deal, sure, two, three year deal, but that's not going to happen. He already did They're, that to prove it, though. He did that with the Cubs. Yeah, I just, that, I, I don't know what you do. You better hope Alec Manoa returns to form. You better hope Vladdy, who's been putting in the effort this offseason, dude looks in great back. shape. Yeah. If you can get him back to the 40 home run, 120 RBI guy, then maybe they are good enough. But I'm highly skeptical at best the, at this point. They're hoping for about half dozen bounce back seasons in what world does that happen in professional sports that you get six guys on a roster with bounce back seasons to turn it around 
you don't. Yeah. Stop relying on on hopes and dreams, right? Like fill one hand with, you know, hopes and dreams and the other one, you know, oh, we'll go there, but like, you know, <laughs> like shit in one hand, <laughs> fill one hand with shit and the other one, one's going to fill up sooner than the other, right? Like, yeah. Eh, stop trying to top, polish a turd into a diamond. But I'm excited. It's baseball's yeah. back in a week. Baseball. And we'll get back to more. Yeah, we'll get back to more regular Blue Jays talk because both Ken and I love our Toronto Blue Jays, and and as maddening as they are to cheer for, it's still fun to talk about. Yeah. Well, I'll be in Mexico when most of spring training is happening. So depending on how that's going, well, depending on how much I'm drinking every day, and thanks, sorry to my wife. <laughs> All right, well, let us know what you guys think about the Jays offseason. We we're pretty uh, down on it. I think after all these years, we've earned that right to be down on it. Um, let us know. Uh, that is our show for this week. Make sure to go and check out the rest of the network, bellyupsports.com, all the podcasts, all the articles. If there's a sport you want to know about, you'll find it. want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.